everybody. It's Wayne with Mark and Sierra and Areed, and we are so excited that you've come to watch the Eat Community Podcast. We know you're going to enjoy it. We actually did it live originally on our Eat Community webinar series, which we also invite you to come to, but you will love this podcast that you're going to be listening to right now. Wayne and Monique here and Mark behind the glass. And um, I think Areeb's even on. This is a day he usually is, is, is out of here by now. Um, and uh, thank you, Areeb, for helping everything get set up. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Monique, for being here with us. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, thank you, audience, for being here with us also. Um, we're going to probably have a little logistics here. Uh, if you've got questions, use the little question box that's over there on the right-hand side of your screen. And please ask questions. And because it's sort of an interview format, probably Mark will be looking at them. And if they make sense while we're going, he'll quickly interrupt us and, and, and go ahead and ask them. Um, secondly, would you put in some ones in that Q&A box? If you're hearing us all right and seeing us on our webcams, fine. If you do that, Wayne, I, that I want to cut right. you off here. I want to cut you off here and want to tell you that this will be an interview plus presentation. So first 20 minutes interview, and then she has a presentation for 30 minutes too. So, yeah. I'm happy so to do whatever works best. I, uh, oh, no, this is fine. You know, okay. uh, no, if you've got the presentation, we always enjoy that better. That's so, what they said. They said presentations cool. are better. And I was like, okay, I'll do that. I'm happy with anything, really. So, um, they yeah. absolutely are. So, yeah. Well, people are putting in Great. some ones. Thank you. Um, I'm just going to call out somebody who's there who's become a regular, Sierra, who's one of our, also one of our staff that Sierra's really on our environmental side of things. Sierra, thank you Yay. for coming. She's been telling me she wants to learn how to do compost. She wants to learn how to how to garden and, and such. So that's going to be great. Great. And, awesome. Uh, yeah. So, again, we're going to start. She, uh, Monique and I were talking a little bit before we, we opened up here. Tell everybody where you live, where, where you're at in the world, and, and uh, how long have you been where you're at? Yeah, so I'm originally from Boston. Um, um, I'm a Cambridge girl, born and raised, and I moved to Los Angeles about three or four years ago, so I'm pretty new Angelino. Um, and uh, I'm in, I'm on the west side of Los Angeles. Los Angeles is massive, so it's it's important to kind of say where you are actually at. Um, and yeah, I mean, so I, I kind of explore all of Los Angeles, but I'm, I'm in Venice right now, and Started a compost company while I was here. By the way, you don't have a Bostonian accent at all. I mean, nothing. Either you, either in two and three years, you've gotten rid of it, or I, I can drop in. But <laughs> I have found that if I kept it, people don't actually listen to what I'm saying. <laughs> they are very in Boston. I could talk all the time and. And it's fine, but once I moved to LA, no one would actually hear my words. They would just be listening to how I was saying them. So I had to kind of uh, get rid of that, given I do a lot of speaking. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because other people wouldn't know this, uh, Venice and a lot of these beach areas in Southern California are just this time of the year because it really can be beautiful. And Monique was just saying that it's it's been too warm, but is it weird about probably how few people there are along Venice, along the boardwalk, along the beach there now with with COVID? Yeah, strange? you know, it's for people who live here. We love the winter um, because it gets a little cooler, and at least I'm speaking for myself, but I know a lot of people who feel this way. And the tourists are less on the west side. Um, and so it's kind of a nice time to be a local here and um, walk around and enjoy all the parts that are lovely about Venice without it feeling really, really crowded. So, yeah, it's, it's quite quiet right now. Um, it tends to be quiet in the, the winter anyways. The summer gets really kind of gnarly, um, pretty, pretty busy, pretty hectic uh, because of the Venice boardwalk. I'm really not that far from it. Yeah. <laughs> so 
how did you get into this whole topic and, and area called composting? It involves compost. What was the, Yeah, so, you know, honestly, th this was not something I was ever um, going to do with my life. Uh, I composted in Boston. In Boston, there's a lot of um, or a lot of New England areas. Um, the type of apartments you have are kind of duplexes or triplexes. They tend to have a, a yard in the back, um, and it makes it easy to do home composting, even if you live in an apartment. But when I moved to Los Angeles, um, especially on the west side of LA, it's a lot of large apartment complexes. No outdoor space. Everything's shared. And uh, there was really no way for me to be able to compost at at home. Um, and so I was, you know, in Boston, there's this pickup services. And I was like, well, I'll just, I'll just hire one of those. But the, the resources were seriously lacking. And so um, I was taking a sustainability class at UCLA. And I developed Compostable LA as just kind of like a funny, like, you know, like, oh, I'll just develop a... Oh, did I lose you? Nope, I'm still here. I'll just develop, a, you know, a, a business plan for it and, you know, see where that goes. And then the business plan kind of, it really just took momentum. Um, and here I am now, but there, there was never any intention to start a compost company or be an entrepreneur or any of that. It just, I saw a need for it in Los Angeles and decided that I would fill that need. So I'm going to do what um, a good friend of mine who's a podcaster and, and actually teaches about how to do podcasting. He used to live in San Diego. He's moved to Puerto Rico now. His name's John Lee Dumas. Um, it's, I'm going to do what he calls his fire round. And these are going to be All right. questions about, your past, about things in your past that are pretty quick, very, fairly simple answers or things that Great. are happening right now. Um, and they won't be things I bet that you're going to talk about during your presentation. Um, tell okay. us about somebody who had a big influence on you as, uh, as let's say, a teenager, other than your parents. Um, my grandfather. He was an immigrant. He was from the Azores, uh, which are a, a group of a cluster of islands off the coast of Portugal. He was uh, so he was Portuguese. He didn't speak English. Um, or I was very broken English, and I was the third child, so I didn't speak a lot of Portuguese. By the time they got to me, they were just like, we're not, we're not teaching another language. So it was this really weird, broken relationship in, in our communication styles. Um, but there was just some kind of heart connection there, and I think a lot of what I do is from him. He was, he was a storyteller. He owned his own business in Portugal, and he just worked really, really hard. Uh, so my off-the-top-of-my-head answer is him. About either a book, uh, you know, something on the internet that you've read that has really affected you that you'd love to tell other people about in the last, something that you've read in the last year or so that, that you'd, you'd love to tell other people that they should read. I'm a huge podcaster, I will say. Um, so I, that's my medium of choice. I do read and everything, but if we're doing a fire round, the first thing that comes to my head is, um, Radio Lab is probably my favorite podcast in the world and, um, more perfect their runoff of that, which was all about, um, the constitution, which sounds really boring, <laughs> but it's not they, because, because they can take any topic and make it interesting. Um, I look, I look forward to every episode that they post. So if, if people are looking for a really good podcast to get into and somehow have not made it into the Radio Lab community yet, I cannot suggest that enough. Okay. How about a tool that you've started to use, and it doesn't have to be in composting. It could be in anything you do in life in the last six months or year, let's say, fairly recently, that you just would love to tell other people about. A tool. Ooh, that's a good one. It could be an uh, internet tool, too. I mean, it, it could be a physical tool, just anything that, that uh, is labeled as a tool. Anything that's labeled as a tool. I'm trying to think. Um, the first thing that popped into my head was Monday.com. We use that a lot. You know, as I'm transitioning out of this, I oversee everything. I mean, 
I started the company and it was just me for a while. And as I'm trying to relinquish control, um, having a way to organize that and pass it on to the team has been really important for me. Uh, so Monday.com really helps me kind of feel confident. It's not just emails or whatever. I can, you know, I can visualize it. I can assign it. I can see that they're done. And for someone who, you know, this is a hard transition, relinquishing control of your company. Um, for someone who's in that period of their company, it's been it's been really helpful for me. So these are going to be two contrasting questions. Okay. Um, you're going to guess what the second one is after I ask the first. <laughs> Tell us about, again, something that just quickly comes to your mind that was just an amazing thing that occurred for you in your life. You don't have to think very long, and boom, it just comes to you. Uh, the, this is kind of personal, but the first thing that came to me was like a horrific breakup because that's why I moved to LA. Uh, and in LA, I have found so much of what is like authentically supposed to be my life. So without that kind of world falling apart in Boston, I wouldn't have been here. Wow. Because that's the second question that I was going to ask, which was <laughs> harder. So be thinking about the other, the first one, which is, Oh, what is a negative thing that's happened in your life that at the time seemed horrible, but oh. the outcome of it has been oh, yeah. amazingly good? Yeah, that was that. I mean, it was like horrific. I was with the person for like eight years and very enmeshed because it was my early 20s and, and throughout my 20s. So that that was that. So the first question was, what's something major that's happened in my life? Yeah, that it's a cool. It doesn't even have to be major. Just something yeah. really cool. Yeah, that, that, that um, has happened that you really, you know, is, is really, you could just think of. I mean, it could be a great um, movie that you saw, or it could be, a, you name it. My first thing, my first thought that popped into my head is my dog. Um, when I share my screen, you'll see a picture of him. Yeah, he, I mean, endless joy. If, if you can find anything that is passive joy in your life, I mean, you're golden, and that is my dog for me. Yeah. How do you, um, what are the, what are the negative constraints of keeping a dog in such highly <laughs> dense area like you're in? What, what was um, um, you know, I, I'm not one of those people that's like, I'll never get a dog because it's not fair to dogs in apartments. I'm like, as long as you exercise the dog enough, it's fine. I will say this particular dog is a trail dog. He wants to be on the trail, off leash living his best life and that's when we're really like connecting and uh i can't let him off leash in the city he'll just take off so that's probably the hardest part because i know he's so good off leash and and uh he just wants to be running amongst the trees but that's not the reality here no is he corgi he's got mm -hmm. corgi in him yeah he's a corgi yep yeah his name's we are, we are huge dog we're huge dog people so <laughs> We're at, we're at one of our lowest levels. We have five right now, which is probably oh the God. least we've had in a long time. We have a puppy that we're getting in South Carolina tomorrow. So oh. that's going to bring us back up to six. So. Yeah, and he was given to me as a gift. So it wasn't even like a decision I made, you know, And but it was perfect. I'm so glad I have him. Yeah. Who has been a big influence on you in the composting area? Uh, Michael Martinez of LA Compost has become kind of like this de facto mentor to me. Probably he never expected that would happen, but too bad it's happened. <laughs> so um, he, you know, has shown me so much and so many preconceived notions I had about composting. He has taught me on and, and such. So um, if you guys, I, I'll show you LA Compost maybe in my presentation, but they're they're a wonderful um, company and if anybody had watched the new Kiss the Ground documentary that's out, he was featured in it. Um, so he's kind of blowing up right now. How is, from what you hear, how is Kiss the Ground doing? They struggled for a little uh, while. while yeah. Um, I, I don't know if they're doing great right now um, because, and I, again, I don't know. I, I'm not, a, I'm not affiliated with Kiss the Ground in any capacity, but they've gotten. Um, Quite a lot of heat after their documentary regarding environmental justice issues. Um, several organizations have come out and said that regenerative agriculture is kind of whitewashing the movement. Um, 
because these are all indigenous practices. Now I've studied with Kiss the Ground and I know they do reference a lot of indigenous practices when they're teaching people about soil health. Um, so I saw the inner you know, education piece that they offered in regards to indigenous practices, but I, I, I know they're getting a lot of heat from organizations and I imagine that's quite difficult for them right now. So you mentioned you like to hike. Where would you go on a nice weekend hike? Where would you go to? Yeah. Right there in the hills or where up into the San Bernardino? Where would you go? So as a New England girl, I cannot handle the heat. Like the it gets so hot here, and a corgi with all that fur can't handle the heat. So I have to find a shaded hike that takes dogs. And there is a great spot in Calabasas. I actually don't know the name of the trail. I just know how to get there now. <laughs> And, um, but that is, I'll always go there. It opens up into this beautiful meadow. Um, but my dog and I and my roommate um, just went backpacking this past weekend up by Horse Flats in Angeles National Forest. And it was beautiful. I mean, you know, camping is closed right now unless you do dispersed camping because of COVID. So we, that's what we did. And it was gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous, really warm because of the Santa Ana. So we weren't freezing. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you so organized campgrounds throughout California are closed or just yeah. in LA County or, or what? No, they're closed. Yeah. Uh, all the campgrounds are closed. We tried to go up two weeks ago. And, and, the, and uh, by the way, that photo he's showing, the person on the right is one of my co-owners. Her name's Jamie. Um, just wanted to highlight her. Uh, but yeah, uh, we tried to go up two weekends ago and got to the campground and the guy's like, nah, there, I was like, is it closed because of fires? Is it closed? You know why? And they were like, no, COVID. And we're like, oh, uh, what? You can't even go outside. <laughs> so it's, it's a rough time right now with the pandemic. Um, again, only three years, but what's the worst <laughs> weather related issue you've seen so far? somewhere close to you know fires can be issues yeah um, mudslides definitely the fuck uh, earthquake yeah. i mean you yeah you know so. yeah the, the the earthquakes were probably the scariest for me because i i didn't understand what was happening <laughs> like, what do i get under my bed do i go into the tub what do we do right now what's the protocol um but the worst, I think, so that was maybe a little frightening to me, but I think the worst for my health is the fires. I mean, the smoke that comes in, I can feel it. I mean, it really, really impacts your breathing. The air quality has been terrible. So I would say that's probably the worst thing that I, as an Angelino, have experienced here. By the way, just to let you know, and you probably heard this, you're fortunate because 20 years ago, 30 years ago, smog in the LA basin oh, yeah. is way worse than it is today. Um, it's, yeah. it's improved just dramatically. So, you know, yeah. unfortunately, we've been doing a little bit right as it relates to managing air quality um, to, to improve that. So, anyway, I and think that's one reason why I feel a little bit. Okay. Yeah. Well, one reason I feel lucky to live on the west side is because we get that nice ocean breeze coming in. It really helps keep yeah. that air kind of moving. Yeah, so I, I chose this location strategically. <laughs> yeah. I'm more of a mountain girl, so I would prefer to be on the east side. I'm not so much a beach girl, but it is nice to have this this cool air blowing. So let's transition into a presentation that you've got. And sure. Mark is probably going to give you the screen, and um, okay. you can take it. And um, Again, anybody, as you as as Monique goes along here, I'll be watching the questions. So, if you guys have questions, please uh, please put them up in the box, and we'll probably answer them at the end. Um, have Monique answer them, but uh, yeah. let's uh, let's go. Oh, that is not working. Okay, yeah. So. Um... Compost. You're in the screen. It's Good. A, okay. You're in the present mode, so you've got all yeah. of it. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you, I'm going to give the audience a little bit of ways to talk about soil and compost, and then a little bit about ways you can actually, you know, 
do composting. So I want people to feel confident leaving. Like if they leave and go into their communities, they know what it is, how to talk about it. Um, they feel a little bit more comfortable with the subject matter, but also um, how to do it if we talk about this and then they're super into it. Um, so the first half will be a little bit of an orientation and then the second half will be more digging into like the practical house. Um, so uh, the first you know, place I wanna get to is a common ground about our ground. Um, Usually, you know, this is kind of a, a back and forth discussion, but, you know, and I'd ask people what they think healthy soil is. But, you know, one of the things I want people to start thinking about is what is the function of soil? What is what is it comprised of? Because so often we don't actually think about soil. Why would we? Uh, we're walking around. We have concrete underneath our feet Our, you know, our cars are driving on asphalt. And even when we get out into nature, maybe it's covered in grass and, or whatever, and you don't actually interact with soil a lot. So getting people to kind of cue in to what soil is. Um, so a little bit about what soil is. Soil is actually a living organism like coral reefs. Um, dead soil is called dirt, uh, but healthy soil is called soil. Um, and it has, uh, a lot of components to it that make it what it is. So um, air, uh, water, silt, sand, and clay. Um, and basically why this is important is because the reason living soil is living is because there's bacteria in it. And bacteria cannot live without air you know, and water. Um, and then the silt, sand, and clay kind of gives the soil some mass so the bacteria can move around. Um, so um, what happens, so this is called soil organic matter, so SOM. So what happens when, when the soil organic matter kind of ratios change is you get this drastic difference in the type of soil you're seeing. So you'll see that these are the ratios of these two different um, kind of soil samples we're seeing. When you lose this air and water I was talking about, you get what we call compaction. And what happens when this, the soil becomes too compact is that the bacteria die off. There's really just not enough resources to have um, bacteria living. And this is why, and we'll talk about this a little later, organic material doesn't actually break down in landfills. It kind of slowly mummifies uh, while releasing methane because bacteria is what breaks down your organic material. And in something as dense as a landfill, there is no bacteria. So there's no way for that to break down. Um, okay, so you'll see a little bit here about how to kind of can conceptualize that further. You can see on this healthy by the, soil. By the way, real quick. Yeah. That is a very cool picture showing this the one? difference between. Yeah, no, the last yeah. one. Um, yeah. Those two, those two chunks. I'm going to make sure I ask you to get me a copy of that. Later. Absolutely. Again. I would call what you saw on the left there much more dirt and then obviously the soil on the right. Yeah. And what's crazy and what's really wild is they have done soil sample studies of um, Central California farms and they have found that the food that they are growing in non-organic farms looks like this. And the only reason that food is growing is because of chemical fertilizers. The soil is not giving anything to the food. So on uh, what they call regenerative farms that are using, you know, indigenous land practices, you'll see this more often. And in this relationship, the food is uptaking nutrients naturally. And we're going to get a little bit further into that. But this is actually farmland, both of these photos, uh, which is frightening. Um, and you can see right here the difference. Look at how much structure there is in this soil versus this, what we would call dirt. And if you're in California, you see this a lot. And this isn't always necessarily bad. There's some environments like the desert where this is actually quite natural. Um, but actually a lot of California, um, I've been reading Tending the Wild, which is uh, all about indigenous practices and managing the land. And California actually wasn't so wildly um, full of deserts way back in the day. A lot of that has to do with current agricultural practices. So what's our current situation? Um, our land is not functioning. So soil has two responsibilities, to grow 
uh, plant material and to hold water. And right now, our soil's not really doing either of those. So we're going to talk about what that means. What it, you know, what's wrong with these photos? So I'll, I'll kind of briefly go through some of these. Um, so bare ground, bare ground means there's no relationship between plant material and soil, and um, that relationship is crucial for maintain for maintaining that soil structure. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. Overgrazing. This is what we call overgrazing. Um, and the same thing's happening where there's no relationship between plant material and soil because of um, overcompaction. Now, I'm not against um, cattle industry. I give that caveat right away. Uh, there's a thing called plan grazing um, that, or holistic grazing um, that the buffalo used to do. And it works really, really well. Um, but in current agricultural practices, this is kind of what we see. Um, this is called a dead zone. This is what we see in our water caused by chemical fertilizer water runoff. So when chemical fertilizers are used to prop up the soil because the soil is dead, um, eventually it's gonna rain. That soil is gonna run off because there's no root systems holding it in place. There's no structure there. You can see in this photo, there's, these root systems go down and they create structure in the soil versus here where there's no plant material, erosion happens more easily. So what happens is that runs off and creates these dead zones in the ocean or lakes caused by the chemical fertilizers. And this is kind of what I was talking about with erosion and runoff. Erosion is caused due to bare ground. Bare ground is not caused due to erosion. Um, when it rains and there is bare ground and the soil is very compacted, like we saw here, the water cannot infiltrate. This is why the water is so low. It's too compact. So what happens is the water runs off of the ground, taking the top layer of soil with it. And that's kind of what's highlighted here. Now, there is some plant material here, but it's monocropping, and you're getting a lot of water runoff that's taking that top layer of soil with it. Um, and so. What you'll see is it'll have a rainfall like this in one day and the very next day looks like this photo on the left because of immediate evaporation with no filtration into the soil. Um, and so without effective, what we call effective rainfall, which is it raining and then being absorbed into the ground, it's just gonna evaporate off immediately. So this is kind of a quick and dirty, um, you know, I could talk all day about these things. I'm just kind of going, uh, Kind of a high level overview. Um, so what's happening with current agricultural practices? And when I say current agricultural practices, I mean stuff like we're tilling the soil. So when you till the soil, which means kind of churn it up for planting, what are you doing? You're destroying that soil structure that the bacteria created. Um, so Tilling the soil, overgrazing, chemical fertilizers, motto cropping, these are all you know, agricultural practices that were developed in England and during colonialization, they spread across the world. But England has a lot of rainfall. It's a very forgiving landscape. When it spread across the world, it spread into more harsh landscapes that couldn't handle that type of agricultural practices. And instead of, you know, taking knowledge from the indigenous people that lived there that had been farming that land for generations, they just push through their agricultural practices. And now what we're seeing is large scale desertification. So they estimate within the next 60 years, we will have no more farmable land left. So it's a pretty dire situation right now um, as desertification takes a hold. And look, if there's no farmable land, there's no food. Um, obviously they'll probably come up with tack where they're growing food in a lab or something like that. But um, soil does more than just grow food, it holds water. That was the other function we talked about. So if it's not growing food and not growing water, that soil has died. Um, and so this is how much topsoil is lost per year um, due to water runoff. I mean, think about the droughts we're experiencing. The droughts we're experiencing could be fixed with healthy soil that is then allowing water to infiltrate and recharging our aquifers. Mudslides could be lessened if there was water infiltration that uh, that lessened water runoff. Um, 
and then you know we're losing that topsoil and topsoil takes hundreds of years to develop so that is like holy shit you just scared the heck out of me um and that's you know that but that's the reality of the situation but there are solutions and now we're going to talk about the solutions so we kind of just did a real cursory glance at why we should care about soil. What is the current state of our soil and why should we care? Um, and so we're going to talk about now about compost role in taking care of our soil. So I'm going to play this video for you. I hope you can hear it. Um, it's like three minutes long and it's actually by Kiss the Ground who we talked about, but they do such a, actually a lot of these slides are from Kiss the Ground too. Like I said, I took a soil training class with them. Um, and they do a great job explaining the carbon's relationship with soil. So let me know if you can't hear this. Yeah, we're not we're not hearing it. You're not hearing it? Okay, hold on. Let me think of the best way. I wonder if I take my headphones out if you'll hear it through my speakers. Probably. Yeah, if you take that out, you will. I think we'll hear it through your computer. Okay. Now, now we hear it. Okay, let me just restart it. Or, okay, let me restart it. Okay, I'm going to turn up my volume so it's easier for you guys to hear. Boop, 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 boop. All right, let's do it. It's not coming through very well on my end. Um, uh, audience, be I'm going to send this video out to people, and I'm going to encourage people to watch it. Um, yeah, why don't you, if you just put a link to it, um, give it to Mark, he'll make sure everybody gets it. Perfect. I'll do that. Um, let me just, I'll do that when, after I finish presenting. Oh, it's right here. I'm, uh, da -da -da -da. I'll put it in the chat. Yeah, if you just throw that in the chat, that'd be wonderful. Yeah, okay. So um, that's a great video. It, it's really great. It talks about, basically what this video talks about is um, carbon's relationship with soil. Um, so carbon dioxide is often villainized, but carbon dioxide is not the problem. Where carbon dioxide is living is the problem. Carbon dioxide, carbon, is what we're all made of, and it's meant to live in the soil. So when plants intake carbon through photosynthesis, they feed it back down into the soil. And then that bacteria eats the carbon and makes what they call kind of, it's like a soil glue. It helps make soil structure. And then carbon is safely stored in our soil. So what's happening is that carbon that's been safely stored in our soils and in our fossil layer is being put into the atmosphere through oil drilling. And so the issue isn't carbon, it's where the carbon is. So now the carbon's in the air and who's taking the brunt of that? The oceans. And this is why oceans are warming so drastically. So what organizations that kind of talk about regenerative farming practices is, is if we can increase photosynthesis through the plants, it can actually sequester carbon and store it in our ground where it actually makes healthy plants and healthy food. So um, that's kind of a general overview of that, that video, which is, is just really well done. So we're gonna talk a little bit about compost role in that soil cycle. So compost you'll see is used both as a verb and a noun. Food scraps either become compost or are composted. Um, and so what compost is, is not soil, it helps it helps heal soil. Compost is uh, the best, you know, analogy I've seen. It's like a probiotic for the land. It's full. It's so nutrient dense that when you put it on soil, it boosts the bacteria activity. 
So you hear me talk a lot about bacteria. Um, you know, bacteria, what we call the, foil, uh, the, the food, the soil food web is full of things like bacteria and fungi who break down organic material. They're really like the superheroes of our world that often aren't think, thought about. So compost, you know, what we do is we take food waste, uh, we use um, natural practices, and we create uh, compost with it. Um, if you know in nature, nature doesn't have waste. Waste is a human invention. Uh, if you go into a forest floor, there isn't 30 you know, years of leaves piled up. Uh, nature has a mechanism for removing those leaves, which is composting. So when we are composting, we are taking lessons from nature, which has thousands of years of research and development on its side. We're doing the same thing. So instead of bagging up those leaves and sending it off to a landfill, we're putting them in a compost pile. So we're gonna talk about how compost helps three pillars, three main areas. So if, if you kind of the basics of sustainability, if you wanna know if anything's truly sustainable and not greenwashing you, there's three things you should look for. People, planet, and profits. Is something helping the community? Is something helping our uh, ecosystems? And is something helping the green economy? If it's doing one of those three things, it cannot you know, tout itself as being a truly sustainable practice. So we're gonna talk about how composting helps these three areas. People. So when compost is applied to the soil and helps create healthy soil, what it does is it creates chemical-free abundant food. So what does that mean? Well, we don't need to use chemical fertilizers anymore. Compost is a natural fertilizer. It is full of all the uh, minerals that your plants need, you know, phosphorus, carbon, nitrogen, all those. So um, what it actually does is help the immune system of plants and help the nutrient content of plants. So if you look, if you're a gardener, this photo on the left is something you're very used to seeing. That doesn't have to be how that plant looks. That's a zucchini plant. It has mold on it. It's very common in gardens. But that is actually an indicator that there's an immune system problem in your soil, in your plant, which is caused by a lack of nutrients in your soil. So the same reasons that we get, you know, we get sick when we're nutrient deficient, your plants get sick if your soil is nutrient deficient. So, so many people will look at that as a natural part of, of gardening, but really that means something's wrong in the soil structure. Um, here is a, is a graph that shows the nutrient content of one carrot grown in healthy soil based on mineral content versus the nutrient content of one carrot grown on traditional soil farming methods. It's drastically different. So in healthy soil, that bacteria life and, and the compost used you know, to spread on that soil drastically increases a, a plant's ability to absorb the nutrients in the soil. Um, because it doesn't need chemical fertilizers, that soil, like we saw in the, the very early pictures, already has all the structure and minerals and life it needs to create a healthy plant. So it helps people by improving our health. Uh, something we often hear is healthy soil, healthy people, healthy planet. Um, so now we're gonna talk about planet. So this is probably the one I'll spend the most time. Um, so as I talked about, soil can sequester carbon through its relationship with plants. So um, a plant intakes carbon dioxide, it feeds it out through the bacteria in its roots, and that bacteria safely store that in the ground. Um, so organics and landfills, so like I talked about, um, so that's one way it reduces greenhouse gases, is through this plant relationship with the ground. Another way composting helps reduce um, greenhouse gases is when you put an organic item in your landfill, what happens, they, they uh, have done studies on landfills where they dug them up and they found perfectly preserved carrots that were 20 years old uh, based on the newspapers that were in the landfill with it. So what happened is that the conditions in a landfill are so dense 
Um, bacteria can't live, like I mentioned earlier. And the bacteria, the, the produce breaks down a little bit using whatever little oxygen is in that um, particular landfill, but eventually the oxygen runs out. It starts releasing methane and kind of mummifies. And methane, as we know, is more potent than carbon dioxide. So when you put that carrot in a landfill, not only is it not going anywhere, it's actually going to release a more potent greenhouse gas as, uh, as you know, at the end of its life, which there is really no end. When you put that carrot in a compost pile, within 30 days, it becomes this nutrient-dense soil amendment that we were talking about that actually helps sequester carbon and hold water, especially when spread on rangelands, because soil without plants is, is an incomplete relationship. Um, kind of like peanut butter without jelly. Like you can do that, but there, it's an incomplete relationship. So soil without plants um, doesn't allow for this cycle to happen. And eventually without this cycle, this soil will die. So when compost, you know, the part of composting where you're creating the piles and you're diverting that landfill, not only helps because it reduces methane, it helps because when it's spread on rangelands and has a relationship with plants, it can pull carbon in, out of the air and help store H2O. Um, and this is gonna talk about that plant relationship I've been referencing a little bit. Ground, you know, soil without plants, when the CO2 basically just evaporates into the air, so it's not being safely stored in the ground like we want. When the plant is intaking the CO2, it's placed into the ground and stored there. Now you might get some CO2 escaping, but then it's immediately absorbed back up by the plant. And this is called the carbon cycle. So there's a net carbon gain is what they call it. Um, soil also has a huge relationship with water. And this is actually the less talked about um, area of soil. Let me just check time, I'm doing okay. Um, we know a lot about soil and growing food, but we don't think a lot about soil and water. So if, you know, as we talked about, soil can replenish our water cycles because of effective rainfall entering the ground due to that, that soil structure not being compact. And what happens is that can recharge our aquifers. And then if you have super carbon rich soil through this process, right? Carbon is in the soil, it's living there, it's stored there, then it almost acts like a Brita filter you know, a carbon filter. So it's gonna clean out those stormwater pollutants that we often see and create a drought resistant um, ecosystem. Um, and this talks a little bit about water's relationship with soil. So if water hits bare ground, it's either gonna evaporate immediately or run off. There's no place for it to go because the soil is so compact without the bacteria creating structure. When the water hits this ground, there's all these little rooms for it to go into and it, it kind of filters through what we like call little soil rooms and goes down into the aquifers below the soil. Um, and so this is kind of increasing, this gives an opportunity to increase ecosystem functioning and biodiversity because there's a higher carrying capacity. And the last thing we're gonna talk about is the economy. Uh, nothing can be truly sustainable if it's not economical. Um, which I know is something you guys talk about a lot. Um, so farmers who institute um, indigenous land practices can see higher yields with less inputs. So what does that mean? That means that they might need to invest. I think this is the one I want. Yeah, they might need to invest a lot initially to create a um, naturally occurring ecosystem but the longer they're in production, the less their costs are because that ecosystem becomes self-sufficient. Um, and so the same here, because of uh, the ecosystem's carrying capacity increases over time because the ecosystem is healthy. So the sicker and sicker an ecosystem becomes, the more and more inputs you need, the more chemical fertilizers and such that you need to keep that system propped up. Whereas if you're using regenerative models, the less it needs over time because it's self-sufficient. And so here's a little quote from a farmer um, in which they saved over 200K by reducing input costs from feeds, pesticides, herbicides, fungicides, fertilizer, as well as reducing labor and fuel costs. 
um, and glyphosate com consumption. Um, so all these things became less necessary because they were implementing holistic practices such as planned grazing, integrated pest management. Um, you know, you don't want to use herbicides and fungicides because as I've been talking this whole time, bacteria is crucial and fungus is crucial to the foil the soil food web. So if you're killing them, you're killing your soil. Um, so basically composting when applied to soil helps its functioning grow back. So it's what we can use to help heal the soil from where it is in its current state. So now you're like, wow, composting so cool. Um, how is this put into practice? So one real life example I wanna give is this company here called Soa Heart Farm and Sage Vegan Bistro. Sage Vegan Bistro is a restaurant in Los Angeles, and Soa Heart Farm is owned, as you can see here, by the same family, um, and it's an hour outside of LA. And all the food waste from the restaurant goes back to the farm, and then all the food from the farm goes back to the restaurant. And this is a closed-loop food system entirely, and what we love is that it's hyper-local. Nothing's being trucked you know, thousands of miles away or, you know, as recycling market being shipped to China. This is 100% within two counties in Los Angeles. So how can you start composting? Um, this is my favorite slide ever. Um, it's from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. I'm not going to go through all the details just for time, um, but I just wanted to put it up because it's Pretty much the one thing Michael Martinez introduced me to, like the biggest, not the one thing, but something he introduced me to that really just changed my way of seeing waste management. Because um, that's what I'm, that's what we're getting into is waste management now. Like how do I compost is really waste management. So um, right now, you know, we talk a lot about monocropping in agriculture, but right now it's kind of monocropping in waste management where there's usually one major hauler that does all the picking up of your compost. And there's issues with that system. While it will increase diversion rates, it doesn't benefit the community. And so what the Institute for Local Self-Reliance has outlined here is a tiered model that includes these big, big, big composters because they, they are important, they serve a purpose, but also includes smaller scale locally based uh, composters like myself, um, small-scale drop-off decentralized models like LA Compost, um, home composting, which a lot of you might be interested in doing, edible food rescue like Food Forward, who's capturing food before it even ends up in the waste system, and then source reduction. Uh, that's the most important thing. So I love this. I love this model. I think it's beautiful. And this is really the policy I'm trying to push forward in Los Angeles to see. So do it yourself. No matter where you are, your city or county probably has a workshop to teach you how to do this. And then they probably offer bins at a discounted rate. Um, and so there's there's all sorts of types of home systems you could do. And that's an entirely long discussion. And I could go in really a long time about that. Um, but your best thing to look up is like home composting system. Um, if these other two are not of interest to you, because this can get really detailed. But basically, there's hot composting and cold composting. Those are two kind of key terms you're going to want to look up when you are doing your search for home composting systems. And if you take a workshop, they'll teach you a lot about that. Worm bins. Worm bins and Bokashi are apartment-friendly do-it-yourself systems. Um, Bokashi is kind of a fermentation process. Um, I would say worm bin is, is something I prefer more to Bokashi because Bokashi produces this end result that still needs some kind of finishing. Worm bins, um, I think the, the soil quality of what you get is so amazing. Worm poop is gold in the composting world. Um, so if you don't have a big yard that you can do something like this, I would then recommend worm bins and then Bokashi personally. That's just my personal preference. If you're like, hey girl, I'm not about to turn piles or have worms near me, like that's not the life I lead, that's totally fine. The next option as we see on this, like you're crossing out home composting and you're going to this next option is drop-off sites. These are some drop-off sites that have highlighted in LA. They'll share waste and make soils nationwide. Um, you can look up a local nonprofit that does compost drop-off farmers markets or community gardens, and you can bring your compost to them. 
And usually those are free or super cheap. There's also share waste and make soil, which um, are community bonding. So your, you know, your neighbor has a compost pile and they're willing to share it with you, or you have a compost pile and you're willing to take your neighbor's um, food waste. So I love these two for the community building aspect of them. And these are apps. This is something you'd have to look up based on where you live. But if you look up compost drop-off site or your local farmer's market, talk to the person who runs it, you'll find something. Um, then on this last tier, we're going to talk about medium scale um, pickup service and large centralized composting. So there's community, what we call community composters. There's this website called Litterless. Um, Litterless.com has a list of every community composter in the US. So no matter where you live, you can find one of us. I consider myself a community composter. What that means is that all the material produced in LA stays in LA and goes back to LA. The soil is not trucked out of the city and then we never see it again. Food waste is a resource. It is not, it is not something to be discarded. It's a precious resource. Anybody who's gardened and know how expensive soil amendments are will agree with me that if they can have access to free, this, to free compost as a resource, it's a huge um, equity issue, um, food sovereignty issue. So I can get really, really into the importance of community composters. Also, some areas like um, San Diego have municipal hauling, where one large company comes by, you have your green bins, uh, and you can put your food waste in the green bins. LA has green bins, but you can only put your yard waste in the green bins for the most part. Um, but some areas you can put your food waste in them, and that's great for large diversions um, and making it really, really easy and accessible. And so we have like I know a little time left, so I just want to hear any questions you guys might have about compostable, about composting. Um, yeah. Tell us a little bit more about, you've been so cool in, in describing compost, but not really your own business. So yeah. tell us a little bit more about your business there. Sure, sure, great. Have, um, we have plenty of time. What'd you say? Oh, I was going to say, we have plenty of time. So oh, okay. tell, us, tell us yeah, a little I, bit about I wanted to keep this really nationwide kind of focus because I had no idea where the people you were, you were you know, listening to this are. Oh, yeah. um, but Compostables of Food Waste Pickup Service, we are community-based and community-led. Um, we're all about environmental justice and equity, meaning that the communities in L.A., um, have access to this free, incredible resource that can grow their food and create better health outcomes. You know, the, the second you start, they've done studies that areas with more trees have less violence. So, you know, more green spaces and more gardening and more food, healthy, nutritious food is not a bad thing for any community. So that's really what we focus on. But the way we do in community engagement is through composting. So you'll see here our website, you know, it's as simple as, you know, if you want to subscribe, you can choose to be a weekly member, bi-weekly member. Uh, you pay a fee for us to come by. Um, and what, what this means is every month you pay $30 a month and we'll come by every other week. All you got to do is put your food waste out on your doorstep. We're going to take your full bin and we're going to leave you a clean, empty bin. So... Um, you know, we include sawdust with our subscriptions because a lot of people have concerns about smell. I will tell you that smell is a com and pests is a common misconception about compost. Properly done compost does not smell. Um, it smells like healthy forest floor. Um, if if you're doing your own composting and it smells, that means there's something in the the um, the biochemistry that's off. Um, yeah, so we talk, you know, we have a very, very close relationship with LA Compost. They do all of our processing for us. Here's a picture of LA Compost doing um, the processing. So we actually don't do any compost processing. We are the middleman. Uh, we donate all the food scraps to compost. We actually donate a monthly percentage of our proceeds to this nonprofit LA Compost. We are huge fans of them and they do all the composting. And, and like I said, Michael Martinez of LA Compost has kind of become my de facto mentor. Um, yeah, and uh, this other kind of thing that we're big into is collective action. So my favorite thing about composting, people often ask me what my favorite thing about composting is. And um, as you can see, I'm kind of like a little, 
it be environmentalists. And so you would think it's all the benefits of the planet, but actually my favorite thing about composting is that it's immediate collective action and collective impact visible. Um, you can see the impact you're having right away, whether you're composting and watching your bin fill up slowly, you know, as you can see in this photo, you can see your, you know, you're slowly filling up your bin or whether you're someone like me who's collecting the bins and sees hundreds and hundreds each week or seeing the piles grow. I love that you can immediately see um, a circular economy and um, immediate collective impact. Charles asks about, Charles asked a question about humanure. What about, I think you just uh, probably, what, what are your thoughts about it? Um, what about what? Manure? Human waste. Human, human waste. waste I, as manure. Yeah. So humanure is a, is a description. Yeah. Term. Yeah. Um, so human manure is already being used <laughs> on a lot of farmland, actually. Um, so you're going to have to have an opinion about it, whether or not you want to, because it's already, it's already being used. I'm not against human manure if it's properly, um, processed. Um, the same with animal manure. You know, we don't accept dog waste or cat waste in our compost systems because of public health concerns. But if someone is willing to, I mean, if you get the piles hot enough or long enough, it's going to kill the pathogens. Um, and so, and, and you can see kind of in this photo I pulled up before, all that steam coming up, all that steam is created by bacteria energy. I mean, these piles get to 140 degrees just from bacteria energy alone. And that's going to kill off a lot of pathogens. Um, so again, I'm not against it. I just need whoever's doing it to be very mindful of the processes because there's a lot of um, public health concerns around any kind of manure waste being processed. But great for um, high in nitrogen, which is really good for your piles. So Charles also asked, he said, I'm reading Community Scale Composting Systems by McSweeney. Have you, yeah. uh, have you heard of that and what's your thoughts about yeah. it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I'm a huge, huge, huge advocate for decentralized models. Um, if there's anything that I have witnessed in my 30 plus years of being on this earth is that centralized models have hurt us a lot. Think of, think of, central, think of furniture, think of recycling, think of food, think of clothing. When these systems get too large, what happens is externalities happen, right? Where we externalize the consequences of these decisions onto disenfranchised communities or countries. Um, and what decentralized models do, which is you know a lot about what that book talks about in community composting, is it forces each community to internalize the consequences of their own decisions and to benefit from the resources of those decisions. I mean, waste is only waste if you waste it. <laughs> Food waste is only waste if you throw it away. Otherwise, it's this amazing nutrient-dense superfood. Um, clothing can be turned into new clothing. And um, so I'm a big fan of decentralized models and local community-based systems for that reason and that reason mostly because, um, you know, where we've gotten to in the past however many years is just that other people have to deal with our decisions. Um, and you know, that's just not ethical. Can you go back? I think it's one or two on your pages here where it, it says what it, the cost is per biweekly yeah. or weekly. I, I just had a question to ask you there. Couple. Yeah. Anybody yeah. else have questions? By the way, thank you, Charles. Ask some more. But Thanks, Charles. So if I, were to, if, if I subscribe to option two here, biweekly compostable LA service, mm -hmm. I get my, I get, a container, yep. as I saw in the pictures, right? Saying compostable, yep. and then it gets picked up. Do I get any compost back? Yes. How, what, how? Yep, right. twice a year, we do soil redistributions. And how we were doing it before COVID is that the members would come to the urban farm where their compost is being processed and take soil home. And the reason we did it that way instead of dropping off soil is because we wanted people to connect to their food system and their waste system. These two things are invisible to us in our current, you know, in our current climate. And so if we can get people to come to these farms and see exactly where their waste is ending up and seeing exactly how their food is being produced, um, because a lot of these farms sell at local farmers markets, 
Um, there's more of this heart connection to what's happening. Um, so that's how, and, and it creates this community and it's a day out, you can volunteer, you can picnic and it's beautiful. Now COVID happened and we're not doing that right now. So we are now kind of dropping off bags of compost twice a year. Um, but there's no extra fee for that. That comes with your membership. Um, and LA Compost, if you do a drop off with them, does free soil give back as well. Ballpark, about how many clients do you have using one of these two services? And, and again, everybody remember, it's been about a three-year process, so it could even be a little less than that. But just, just so they get So I've idea. actually only been oh, in well, LA. I've been in LA for three years, but it took me a year of research because hauling laws are really intense. You know, large-scale uh, law, hauling law and hauling policy is here to protect large-scale haulers. And community composters are new, so there's, it, it can be kind of difficult to operate. <laughs> and, and that's a lot of the policy work and advocacy that Compostable LA does. Um, so it took me about a year and a half, a year of preparation before I launched. So Compostable launched in June of 2019. So we've been open for about a year and a half or a little longer. And we have about 365 members. That's um, awesome. That's really thank good. you. Yeah, so we're growing. Yeah. Um, we're growing rapidly, and it's it's entirely frightening <laughs> uh, because I was just someone who loved composting, um, uh, not necessarily someone who wanted to run a successful business. Uh, and I'm very pleased about it because now I can create the business that I want and hire cool people and do a lot of environmental justice work and social justice work. But it, it was definitely um, it's definitely a little scary at times. <laughs> All right. Well, we have gone past the top of the hour, and I want to be really respectful for you as an audience and also for Monique, and we're going to end here in just a second. But there's the wonderful dog. Give us his – give us – oh, that's an awesome picture. Name of your dog. <laughs> that is – what's his name or her name? Oh, look. Can you see Loki? Can you see yes. him? Um, his name's Loki. That's uh, that's Loki. my little pooch. That's my that's my babe. Oh. Yeah. Um. <laughs> what a what a gorgeous picture. What a Thank neat you. picture. Um, my friend's a photographer. Yeah. So. <laughs> and then I'm gonna back up just a little bit to Charles' question. Yeah. So, um, humanure is a, a an approach to dealing with either human or dog or cat waste. Yeah. Um, yeah. Solid waste. So um, there's a whole series of, of art books and such that are written about it. Um, yeah. I, um, I started humanuring um, yeah. several years ago, and we don't do it for human our human waste because we have compost toilets, but we do it for our and for our dogs. I told you Perfect. we have five yeah. of them with another one yeah. coming. It is so cool. Because yeah. we have boxes, I'll show these sometimes. That that they're you know they're ranch scale size. They're yeah. four by four by four. They actually open at the front, so we can put a combination of what we would call green waste, which you need to have both, uh, along with brown waste, which would be the the, the dog poop, yeah. into these containers and we just let them go until they're full in our yeah. case that takes three two three years sometimes and when right. they're full we just open the front of them and the very top is not composted yet we don't mix yeah. them do anything else with them yeah but below about the top foot is composted down below so we just rake off the bottom and take that that yeah. upper foot or so leave it in the container and then we just start to add more. It's an amazingly yep. simple system. So anyway, um, last question, then we're going to stop. Charles, thank okay. you for asking me. Last questions for you. How did you start your buzz? What were your steps? I think he's loving what you're doing. So uh, how did how you did get, get from zero? Yeah. People just zero customers to the first 50, let's say. People just talk about it. I think people just get really into it. Like, like Charles is, you know, kind of vibing it. You know, I have, I, I haven't done any marketing. I have, I have an Instagram account. 
and I put myself on a couple of community compost lists. So if people are searching for community comp, you know, compost in LA, I pop up. But I have not done any hard advertising. Um, and uh, it's just been word of mouth and it's been crazy and it's been so wonderfully successful. And then I talk like this to people and they tell people and it's, it's been great. So um, yeah, we have an Instagram account. Follow us if you're interested, compostable.la. Um, and if you get more questions that pop up or people who are watching this later have questions that pop up, I'll put my little slide with my information back on here. Um, feel free to email me or you know, direct message me on, on Instagram. And I'm happy to, I'm always happy to get people composting because I'm very, very passionate about it. Um, so there, yeah. there we go, everybody. There's, there's connection. We'll put that in. It's already in the chat section for the video. So you guys, Beautiful. if you watch, just pick up the replay of this. Um, you don't have to watch it. We'll get a lot of people watching it as uh, on the replay side, but yeah. pick that up and you can learn more about it. And wow, this has been a lot of fun. Enjoyed it, Monique. Thank you Thank so much. You. Charles said, by the way, that he, he loves it because he doesn't live in a place where there is composting. So he's got to figure out how to do it himself. If, um, so and what, and what, you, what you're doing is called passive composting. And so Charles, look up passive or cold composting. And it's super, super easy, like, like you were describing, Wayne. Um, you just kind of leave it. Yeah. And... Um, it, it's just amazing, everybody. You, you can do it at any level. And, yeah. and Monique did a great job of showing us why, the, what the benefits are, and how it can be useful. So thank you, Monique. Thank uh, you, guys. Mark, thank you. Thank you, audience. And Mark, take us out. Hey, everybody. I bet you enjoyed that immensely. That was one of our most amazing presentations here at the EAT community. Please look forward to our next podcast in the very near future, and we look forward to seeing you again on the Eat Community Podcast.